Well, good morning, everyone. And um, we're turning to God's Word once more as we continue our studies in the book of Romans. And we're going to be finishing off the last few verses in chapter 1. So Romans chapter 1 from verse 26. Now, many people will look on this passage um, as being pretty controversial. Um, Some will even look at it as fulfilling their worst fears as far as the caricature of the church is concerned uh, as being critical and condemning. I hope that uh, what we do today uh, shows the word of God in its true light, um, not to shy away from things that are said, but to see them in the wider picture of the gospel of God's love and grace. So let's, let's read these words. We always say it's the word of God. It's the, it's the book of God. And, and that's the way that we, we come to it this morning. So Romans chapter 1 and verse number 26. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passions for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, Insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Amen. This is the word of God. I was wondering if it ever actually crossed Paul's mind to, to give up on Rome. You know, there was, a, there was a Jewish, you know, quarter. He could easily have just gone to that part of the city and kind of strategically side-swerved the rest of the population. Maybe he just thought Rome was a bridge too far as far as his message was concerned. After all, Rome was a long way from Jerusalem, not just in miles, but in culture. And the things that were practiced, the way that people lived, well, he's going to now describe these things as unrighteous, and as, as ungodly. And, and maybe he feels he just washes his hands of an attempt to try and bring 
his message to the population as a whole. And yet the truth was that wherever Paul had traveled to, you know, the gospel and its power had just swept through like a, like a tornado. He turned the world upside down, turned people's lives upside down with the, the life-changing message of Christ and his redemption and, and his love, wherever that was. So, for instance, and, and I'd like you to turn to this one, actually. When he, when he went to Greece and afterwards wrote to the city of Corinth in chapter 6, And verse number 9, he said this, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And... Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. All these places that he visited, he left behind him these little groups, these little churches of people whose lives and lifestyles had been like that but were now accepted in the church. They were part of the church of Christ, being changed. And so we come to this passage. And rather than giving up on Rome, it says here, I'm I'm, I'm eager to come to Rome. I can't wait to come to Rome because I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed of this. It's It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And so for our world today, you know, so different in many ways to the first century Rome, but so unsurprisingly the same as well, this message comes with all the authority and conviction of a message that comes with the wisdom and the guidance and the truth of God. You know, three times over in this passage, it says... God gave them up. But what we're going to learn is that is not the same as saying that God gave up on them. He didn't give up on them. Paul didn't give up, and we're not going to give up here in Hebron either in addressing the needs of an entire population. We're not going to give up. That's a different thing from what he means when he repeats, God gave them up to certain things. And of course, we've got to remember that the passage that we've read, you know, it's not in isolation. It's part of a larger argument, a bigger discussion, where he is describing, first of all, how bad things actually are, so that they can appreciate how good the gospel actually is. And one is only appreciated when you understand the other one. And so how good is it? Well, let me ask you to turn again to Romans chapter 5. This bigger discussion about the wonder of the gospel. Romans 5 verse 6. Here is what he says. For while 
we were still weak. When we were without strength. And that's just what we've read in chapter 1. The weakness of humanity morally. When we were without strength at the right time. Christ died for the ungodly. Talks about people here. Scarcely would anyone die for a righteous person. Perhaps for a good person. Someone might even dare to die. But God shows his love for us. In that while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. A message for us all. With all our faults and our failures. It's the wonderful message of redeeming love. While we were yet sinners. Christ dies. Not for the righteous or good. But for the ungodly. So rather than this passage here in chapter 1. Being vitriol. Or being hate speech. He's actually giving an analysis, as we learned last week. An analysis of our lives before God so that they can experience the amazing grace of the gospel that saves wretches like us. You know, it's a little bit like what the, the Lord Jesus demonstrated to his followers. You know, so much of what he did was, uh, it was lessons in picture form. And so when he was approached by, by the lepers, you know, these people who were isolated and abandoned, these people who were diseased and ulcerated, that nobody wanted, who were outcasts, and they came to him and said, would you be willing to touch me? Would you be willing to embrace and welcome me? He did that. And he said, be clean. And, 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 the, and the message that was being presented was not just that people who are like this physically draw that response from Christ. But all of us who have got, if you like, leprosy of the soul, ulceration, disease of the soul, isolation of the soul, he says, I will welcome you. I will embrace you. And you can be clean. And you know, Paul's own heart was influenced by his master's approach. You know, you turn to chapter 9 of Romans. You, you turn to the beginning of chapter 10 in Romans. And you have him talking and saying, you know, I wish that my, my, my own soul could almost be separated and cursed and cut off from God for the sake of my own people. He says, my heart's desire and my prayer to God is that they might be saved. And that's his overwhelming message. And so, what we have here is to be seen in the wider context of God's love. But, but what does it mean when it says that God gave them up? We noticed one of them last week, and there are two of these statements in the passage that we have before us just now. Verse 26 is the first one. Verse 28 is the second. And this is, this is all to be seen in terms of God being angry. And the fact that God's anger is not just something that's future, but is current and is presently outworked 
in our lives and in society in general. People who, who reject God's order, God's laws, God's book, and say, I don't want that, and I don't want God, and I'm not interested, and I don't want anything to do with this, then God gives them up to the consequences of that kind of attitude. And the consequences is this, that all the things that they want, they get. And they get the implications of all of that. It has a negative effect upon their life. That is really what it means. I want to be free from God, from what I perceive to be constraints and negativity in my life. I want away from all of that. God says, you, you, you can walk away from me. But what, will, what you will get will enslave you and will affect you in a negative way. And, and that explains much of the disintegration and the fragmentation and the sense of hopelessness and helplessness that are in so many lives and in our society in, in general. So let, let's look at this first one, this, this first giving up. Verse number 26. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. And in particular, homosexuality is mentioned in this, in this section. And of course, that's the conversation that we really can't have these days. It's all been closed down. It's all been shut down. And if anything is said, the interpretation is... Whatever viewpoint is expressed, that that is hatred, and that could be construed as being a hate, a hate crime. And there's control, and there's intimidation, not only from the media, but also now from, from our politicians, as far as any viewpoint and any conversation on this. It's the unforgivable sin of our generation and uh, there really is no tolerance and there is no inclusiveness for any other, any other point of view. And yet here we are. We're reading from the Bible. All we're trying to do here is understand what these words mean. They do seem fairly straightforward. don't really seem to mean an awful lot of special extra wizardry and knowledge to understand them. Uh, we have to try and accept and understand what the Bible is actually saying and what we do with the Bible. That's really what the issue is. What do we do with the Bible as it talks about a whole range of issues that are relevant to our lives, whether we like them or not? Well, well look at what it goes on to say here. I said... God gave them up is mentioned three times in, in the whole passage. There's another phrase that's, that's actually repeated three times as well. And it's this idea of they exchanged. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie is the first one. The second one is here in verse 26 where it says that... Um, verse, um, yeah, where are we? yeah, verse 26. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. Now, when it talks about natural relations, and you'll see actually that that, that word is repeated a few times. It says about men in verse 27, 
that they gave up natural relations with women. When it uses the word natural there, it doesn't mean what is natural to me. It doesn't mean this is my nature, this is what I feel comfortable with, this is, this is natural as far as I'm concerned. What it, what it means is, it's talking about God's original design in creation. The way that things were designed to be from the beginning. The way that God set up nature to be. And what is clear from that. And that's what he means by that. And at the beginning, and of course Christ refers to that as well. He was asked a question on, on, on marriage and divorce. And, and what he went back to was, was Genesis. And he said, you know, it wasn't so at the beginning. This is what it was like in the beginning as far as God's natural order in creation, original order. He made them male and female. And a, a man will, will leave his father and his mother and will cleave to his wife. And those two will become one flesh. And he talked about two genders, not, not three genders uh, or more. And, and there is a sense in which there are echoes of Eden in this passage where earlier on it says, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. I mean, that's right out of Eden. The lie of the serpent. The lie of Satan. God really said this? You don't believe that. There's something better. There's a better way. There's a more beautiful way. You know, come, come and sample this for yourself. And they exchanged. Adam and Eve did. The truth of God for a lie. And the consequences, of course, were horrendous that followed that. And he's applying the echoes of Eden as far as this argument is concerned here as well. He goes on to talk about the implications of that here. Verse number 27, uh, which says that they received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Now, we know that that, that that includes physical things, um, implications for certain types of behavior, includes sexually transmitted disease, also includes violence and abuse and psychological effects. But you know, this is, this is just part of the description here. That there is a third God gave them up. There is a, a third part to the downward spiral as far as the fall of man is concerned. And not only does it talk about things regarding the body, but it talks about things regarding the mind. And that's, that's the final paragraph that we have before us here. Since they didn't see fit to acknowledge God, verse 28, God gave them up to a debased mind. This is the attitude. I, you know, I, I don't see the point to retain the knowledge of God. That was their attitude. That's the attitude of many today. I, I don't see how it benefits me that I should retain the knowledge of God in my thinking. I don't see the value in that. I don't see what good that does to me. And so I choose not to retain or to acknowledge God at all. And when that attitude is taken up, there are consequences to it. 
And there are, there are, there are, there are things that are mentioned here, a whole, a whole catalog of unrighteousness and wickedness that is listed here that people become dominated by. And it's a sorry, a sorry list. Starts off with talking about uh, envy. Talks about things like deceptiveness, about gossip, about a boastful attitude, people who disobey their parents. Talks about people who are without love and who are ruthless. Whole list of unrighteous and ungodly characteristics that are are wicked. And you would think, you know, that that was enough to say. But if you look at the very final verse of the passage, it says, it says a few things there. It says that people live like this, although they know in their hearts that these things are not, not correct. They know in their heart that God's decree is right. But despite that, they choose to disregard that. And not only do that themselves, but they give approval to those who practice them as well. And this is, this is really what he's talking about when he talks about God giving them up to what is described here as a debased mind or a de- depraved mind. And the idea is this, that, that what is actually correct and right and righteous and pure and helpful is actually now being described as something that is wrong and something that is to be avoided. And in fact, the, the whole thing is turned round and the things that are unrighteous are now applauded as being good. And they're being championed and, and they're being promoted as the attitude to have. And this is what he now describes as as a debased mind. And you would think that when he came down to this last verse here, that he's just kind of really slammed the door as far as the population in Rome is concerned. And he's just said, well, that's the, that's the end of the story for you. God has given up on you people who live in this kind of way. Well, if we thought that, we would be wrong. We, we could not be more wrong if that is the conclusion that we come to. Because we go back, don't we, to our, our verses that we read in Romans chapter 5 and verse 6, where it says again that when we were, when we were weak, just at the right time, almost at the moment of worst despair and a greatest danger, just at that moment Christ comes and he dies for the ungodly. And all this catalog of wickedness and evil, all these things that we've been discussing, I mean, Christ, Christ embraces that. He takes all of that. I mean, that's what the cross is all about. That is what redeeming love is all about. That's, that's what the blood of Christ being shed, the precious blood of Christ being shed upon Calvary means. Because of his love for us, the ungodly, he takes that. And it becomes his responsibility and he dies for the ungodly that we can be forgiven. 
and that we can be washed and that we can be accepted by God. He shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This week I, I read an account of, uh, of somebody's conversion to Christ. Very similar to what eventually happened for many in Rome. And still happens, of course, all around the world today. And, and could happen here this morning. He was a lawyer. An American down in Brazil on business. Met a missionary. Had a conversation. Got him thinking. He wandered into a little church in the evening. There was only a smattering of people in the audience. It was in Portuguese. Didn't understand anything. Looked, looked up at the window. The, the stained glass window. Portrait of Christ upon the cross. He only remembered a few things. Just attended church at Christmas and at Easter. As he looked up at the window and he thought, did they really kill him in such an awful way as that? He described gripping the pew, the back of the pew in front of him. And uh, he said the burdens he had were enough to crush three men as he started to recount and confess his sins before God. And as he, as he listed them all, he prayed, please help me. Please save me. Or if we were to take a word of scripture, God be merciful to me, the sinner. What was that old hymn that it says? I was sinking deep in sin. Sinking to rise no more, but love lifted me. The love of Christ lifted me. All this catalog of sins, and yet the love of Christ. Thank God that He does not give up on us. Thank God for the gospel of redeeming love. Thank God for those statements in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 describing the church. This is what you were like. You all came from this kind of background. The door was never slammed in your face. The gospel came. And Christ died while we were still sinners and were without strength. This is the wonderful message that we proclaim from the book of God. Yes, it tells us how bad it is, but only so that we can appreciate how great and how good and how wonderful the gospel of the love of Christ is. Now shall we pray. So Lord, with the encouragement and the hope of the gospel before us, 
We ask that your word touches all our hearts with its wonder and with the reality of what Christ did upon the cross. And for all of us, if there are some here today who need to come to this point of personal faith, of confession of sin, of praying to you, of saying, Lord, help me, Lord, save me. Lord, we pray that that will be the case. And for some of us, again, just to re-grasp the wonder of the gospel, to have confidence in it, to live like Christ did with his attitude and with Paul's attitude, and not to give up on people all around us. And so, Lord, we commit your word to our hearts today as we ask in the name of Jesus, our Redeemer. Amen.